Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one around midday Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you on the program. A lot to get into on the show today. You've got continuing on-campus preparation for the College Football Playoff National Championship game. Set for Monday night at Lucas Oil Stadium up in Indianapolis. Of course, your Alabama Crimson Tide looking for a seventh national crown under head coach Nick Saban taking on those Georgia Bulldogs. Second time in a CFP final for the Dogs and the Crimson Tide since January of 2018. Familiar foes, Alabama, of course, owners of a seven-game winning streak in the series over UGA. Doesn't matter to the uh, odds makers very much. Georgia at last check, still a three-point favorite. Might see that line shift more towards Alabama, I'm thinking, as we get closer to kickoff. But we've got on-campus prep going on for both Alabama and Georgia. Unlike the semifinals, you won't see the teams make their way to the game site, to the city, uh, the venue, as early as they did for the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl, respectively. Uh, You're going to have a weekend of fan events up in Indianapolis. If you want to brave the cold, and it looks like, unfortunately, some wet weather throughout the weekend as well. Playoff Fan Central has been constructed at the Indiana Convention Center. 335,000 square feet of fun for fans of all ages. They've got a stage that has gone up there at Monument Circle. Going to have three days of concerts. All of the downtown events are going to be free to fans leading up, of course, to the national championship game with Alabama and Georgia. That game's set to kick off around 8.15 Eastern, 7.15 Central on Monday night at Lucas Oil Stadium. You know, we talked about ticket prices also earlier in the week for the game. It looks like they continue to drop as we get closer to kickoff. They went under 600 each per get-in back around Tuesday. At last check, it looked like they were about to go under 400. So if you wait them out, wait the ticket man out, and you're just looking to get in, I think you're going to be able to do that at a pretty fair price by the time Monday rolls around. First visit to Big Ten country for the college football playoff in the history of the event maybe the last what do you think cold weather super bowl we had not too many years ago remember that in new york city well kind of new york city really in neighboring new jersey but uh but even that game was played outdoors thankfully this one will be inside now from the alabama perspective I'm sure what a lot of folks, myself included, have been intrigued by in recent days is the health status of some of these Alabama players with an emphasis on the offensive line because you saw Emil Echior leave the Cotton Bowl semi against Cincinnati there early in the game. Uh, J.C. Latham came on, played well at right guard, but certainly you would like to have Emil Echior back in that place with all of his experience and also You know Emile's doing everything he can to get as close to 100% as he possibly can because this is a home game for Emile Echior. He's going home to Indy. So absolutely, Emile Echior, very motivated to be on the field Monday night. Chris Owens, we saw in some practice video released from UA on Wednesday, looked like he was moving pretty well in the ladder drills that the offensive linemen were doing. He was right there behind uh, Evan Neal. And the other offensive lineman going through his paces. Didn't see Emil Echior, though, 
in that practice video. So you're still left to wonder a little bit about Emil. And, you know, we're going to talk about matchups as we continue to lead up to this game on Monday night. And we did some of that on Tuesday's show. We'll get a little bit more into some of that here in just a second or two. Also, how will five predictions look for this go around of Alabama, Georgia, maybe in comparison to what we saw the first time. And then coming up a little bit later, we'll talk some Alabama men's basketball. Again, big win for the Crimson Tide down in Gainesville. 13-point winners turned it on in the second half. Outscored the Gators by 16 on their home floor. Really turned up the defense. We'll go a little more in-depth on that as we move throughout the show as well. But again, in terms of matchups for Monday night, I think some of them are pretty obvious. I think there's going to be questions about without John Mechie, can Alabama replicate the performance it got from its passing game with Bryce Young throwing for 421 yards? Now, there's going to be some connectivity in terms of front to back for the Georgia defense that is going to have to be improved to prevent that from happening as well. Yes, Mechie's absence is big, and I think it's especially big in a game like this, and I said it earlier in the week in watching the Cincinnati game back, some of the things that are a little bit under the radar, maybe subtle in nature as far as when Bryce extends plays and the comfort level he had with John Mechie in terms of those two being on the same page, when Bryce would escape the pocket or move outside and keep his eyes up the field. Mech has this sort of innate ability to get himself open when those plays break down and he's needed to sort of improvise along with his quarterback and they did it in tandem a lot of times just go back to the Miami game Miami game to open the season right Alabama's first touchdown of the season what does Bryce Young do steps up in the pocket gets out to his right Mechie keeps running across the field and they hook up for an explosive play and a touchdown so that's an area along with the physicality that Mech, Mechie brings to the position as a blocker and just as a all-around football player in general that is problematic potentially for Alabama in this game. But, you know, even without John Mechie, and one of the predictions I had for the first game was that Alabama would have at least one 100-yard receiver in the game. Well, they had that pretty much covered by the middle of the second quarter with uh, Jamison Williams exploding for the uh, long touchdown grab there on a crossing route that he turned into a touchdown. And Mechie, at the time of his injury there in the second quarter, just a few yards south of 100 yards. And those things definitely happened the first time around. I'll tell you something else that happened the first time around, too, though. Alabama got 80-plus receiving yards from the trio of Slade Bolden, Treshawn Holden, and Ja'Cory Brooks. Between those three guys, eight catches for 78, 87 yards. So that was something that didn't probably get talked about as much from the first game. It wasn't just Jamison Williams going for seven catches for 184 yards. Now, that was big. That was absolutely big. John Mechie, six catches for 97 yards. Those two guys combined for three touchdown catches. But uh, you had Bolden with some big plays, especially on a third down there in the fourth quarter that he converted with a crossing route grab. Uh, Holden uh, had some big catches there in the second half. Ja'Cory Brooks again contributing. Uh, those type of plays, Jalil Billingsley converted 
a big third down in that game where Bryce stepped up and was able to avoid a sack somehow. I don't know how he walked through uh, Nicobe Dean like he did on that play, but kept his poise and was able to hit Billingsley uh, across the middle there. So those guys are going to have to give at least that kind of production. I still think with what Georgia puts out there in terms of the corner and the sub package defensive backs, Alabama is still going to take shots down the field, even when there is help over the top with Jamison Williams, because you saw it in the first game. There was a safety over the top of Jamison on his touchdown catch there early in the third quarter. That did not deter Bryce Young from going up top. And look, this is where, again, connectivity in dealing with this Georgia defense comes into play because it started with protection in that first game. The great way of dealing with an absence for a guy like John Mechie is to give Bryce Young time to work with these other guys. And so that's the challenge for Georgia in this game, in my opinion, is can they get more pressure on Bryce Young? And not just pressure him, but get him on the ground because Georgia did at times get pressure on Bryce Young, but Bryce's mobility was so, so troublesome to the Georgia defense. He was able to beat it, able to still make throws, able to run and convert thirds, convert red zone opportunities. Those are the problems for Georgia. And what is really kind of a lumbering pass rush, kind of a retro Bama pass rush in a lot of ways. And so we can talk about John Mechie's absence, but for Georgia, a guy like Adam Anderson, who's had legal issues off the field that has kept him out of games for like six games now, uh, he was Georgia's sack leader through eight games. Ran into some problems off to the field. We'll see how that plays out for him in the legal system. But he's not with the Georgia Bulldogs right now. And he is a guy that could be that guy in the pass rush if he were available for the Georgia Bulldogs on Monday night. And you look at this back end of this Georgia defense and Darian Kendrick, uh, Keely Ringo. uh, It's been a little bit of a mix and match at the star position for Georgia throughout the season. And Alabama took advantage of those guys. You had a couple of pass interference calls on Kendrick. You had Jamison Williams running by Ringo. Uh, Lewis signed the safety over the top was not an issue on the 55-yard deep ball from Bryce Young to Jamison Williams. And so the question back there is, simply put, can, can Georgia keep the top on the defense as well? And even when they do uh, and they play some more zone, and Bryce is able to hit some of these crossing routes underneath. Yards after catch was a real thing for Alabama in that first matchup. So some things to keep an eye on there. And a look, from the Georgia perspective on offense, man, it's going to be talked about all week because the guy is absolutely that good. We got into some of it even earlier in the week with Brock Bowers, a Georgia tight end. And it's not just Brock Bowers you have to worry about at the tight end position because as much 12 personnel and even 13 personnel, 22 personnel. You'll see Georgia go two backs, especially with James Cook in the game with, say, Kenny McIntosh or Zamir White. Because of his speed, James Cook is really a Kenyon Drake type, kind of a hybrid that you have to account for almost like a wide receiver, which is what you have to do with Brock Bowers. And that's why you saw Alabama play so much nickel defense, even against 12 personnel, sometimes even 13 personnel for Georgia in Atlanta. So uh, Alabama's approach to Brock Bowers, and it's easy to look at this and 
in my matchups piece, I'm going to have Brian Branch highlighted. But when you watch that game again from the SEC championship tilt, you see that a lot of guys matched up on Brock Bowers for Alabama, whether it was the inside linebackers trying to run with him in sort of a Tampa 2 split safeties look, whether it was Daniel Wright running with him as the money defensive back in the scene, whether it was the safeties involved. DeMarco Hellams had his big red zone pick while in coverage against Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is not just going to have a lot of targets in this game. He's going to have touches in general because Georgia will give it to him on jet sweeps uh, and get him on the perimeter. And if you've got Darnell Washington, the like six foot eleven tight end that Georgia has lined up inside of Brock Bowers or in front of Brock Bowers, that dude is like a screener in basketball. He's basically running interference one way or another. Whether he's a lead blocker for Brock Bowers on some of the quick screen stuff that Georgia will dial up for Bowers or whether he's a you know just a a guy running down the seam to clear things out for Brock Bowers maybe more underneath so you get some three by one looks with Bowers flex to the field and what happens in those situations is that you get either a linebacker or safety and that's exactly the kind of coverages that Georgia is looking to accomplish And Alabama had that matchup in the second half and had triple coverage on Bowers on the one catch. But the throw was perfect from Stetson Bennett, and Bowers' grab may have been even better. So collective effort, and it's really going to start with tackling the guy because yards after contact, as you saw on uh, the touchdown grab he had on the screen there in the fourth quarter of that game against Alabama. Uh, He's a load. He's hard to get on the ground. That was his only touchdown catch in the game, but – very impressive individual effort. You got to tackle this guy, as we said earlier in the week. You got to make Georgia play red zone offense. So there are some matchups to consider again on both sides of the ball. I think also you take into account Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hellams at the safety position. Can they continue to force takeaways from Stetson Bennett? Because when you look at Bennett's five interceptions in two games against Alabama, a lot, if not all of that, has happened in the middle of the field, and speaking in the middle of the field, Toa Toa, Christian Harris going against these Georgia running backs and you know trying to set the tone early, especially against the run. I thought Christian Harris in the first game did a nice job of that. Second play of the game, I believe it was, and Georgia runs, I believe it's like an outside zone to the right, and Christian came up and hammered James Cook. Not that it just totally nullified the Georgia run game for the rest of the night, but it did let you know that the Alabama defense had made the trip to the ATL. So again, revisiting some five predictions from the first game, we talked about the 100-yard receiver aspect of this. Um, I'm going to stick with, too, probably Stetson Bennett attempting more than 25 passes in the game. That has not worked out well for Georgia in either of his starts against the Crimson Tide Again, he's been 40 or more attempts in both those games. He has thrown five interceptions. And that's, look, you get any quarterback up in attempts, obviously the chance for takeaways goes up. But what it does, it totally takes Georgia out of its comfort zone of balance. So you definitely want to get those attempts up for Stetson Bennett. I think special teams, once again, that's a 
that's a worry that you have as an Alabama fan. And it was the same way going into the first matchup with the dogs, because especially with Jake Camarda punting the football for the Georgia Bulldogs, this is a guy who, um, you know, it's pretty much a, a field flipper every time it comes off his foot in those situations when Georgia needs it. James Burnup the first time around was pretty good. Um, Camarda averaged 52 and a half per punt the first time. Now, Will Reichard, you like him in field goal opportunities. You worry more about kind of the snapper holder battery on that than you do Will Reichard. Um, and we talked about tight ends. We just talked about tight ends a good bit. And we talk about it so much from the Georgia perspective, we probably don't talk about it enough in terms of how much Cameron Latou and Jalil Billingsley can impact this game. And it may not be in terms of receiving production that you see that, but perimeter blocking, the quick game that Alabama had success with that first time around, that's obviously a big part of it as well. So there you go. Some continued Alabama-Georgia talk as we get you ready for Monday night's championship game in Indianapolis. Of course, we've got continuing coverage right there at BamaOnline.com as well. You've been hearing from coordinators throughout the week. You've been hearing from select players throughout the week. Nothing too revealing from the Alabama side of things. You get the feeling listening to Jamison Williams, he kind of has to contain himself. This dude is so confident, and he should be. I mean, look at the numbers. He's averaging 20 yards per catch for the season. Uh, Been really the best receiver in all of college football throughout the 2021 season. And so we've had all of that for you at BamaOnline.com. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Alabama men's hoops on a Thursday when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. Once again, folks, Home Field Apparel, the place for you to go if you are in the market, and you always are, let's face it, you're always in the market for not only Alabama team gear, but the very best of Alabama team gear. That's where you're going to find it at Home Field Apparel, specifically homefieldapparel.com. First time, well, first time purchasers there at homefieldapparel.com. They're going to get 15% off that order when they enter BAMA247 at checkout. They'll ask you for that checkout code, and you just punch in BAMA247, and you're going to get 15% off. Your first purchase there at Home Field Apparel. The fam, they love all of their homefieldapparel.com gear. The Sun specifically went to Gainesville Wednesday night. For the basketball game, the son did. He was decked out in his home field apparel. He's got this Roll Tide sweatshirt. It's kind of got that retro Big Al on it, you know? Really cool stuff. So, so well made. The sweatshirts, the t-shirts, the hoodies, you name it. Great, great quality. Great, great designs. Fun, cool stuff. Home field apparel. 15% off that first order when you put in Bama247 at checkout. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast, this one on a Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. Again, Alabama men's basketball, 2-0 start to SEC play after an 83-70 win over the Florida Gators on Wednesday night. Actually was in attendance there at a Zach Tech Arena at the Stephen C. O'Connell Center. They managed to get the corporate sponsorship on the renovated building down there in Gainesville, but also kept the Stephen C. O'Connell Center in there as well. 
First trip to Gainesville for me for a hoops game since probably, gosh, I think it was 1995. Was that Eric Washington that hit the corner three to beat the Gators or the corner jumper to beat the Gators at the Horn? Pretty extensive renovation to the what I know as the O-Dome there in Gainesville. Again, corporate sponsorship on the building these days. Plenty of title sponsor signage throughout the building, too. But again, still managed to keep the Stephen C. O'Connell Center in the name of the venue. I wonder if Alabama might consider a similar approach with uh, Coleman or even a new building. You know, the uh, Regions Arena at Coleman Coliseum. Yeah, I could see that, perhaps. It's very well done, the renovation there at Azak Tech. Uh, you got a concourse area in the arena that has that NBA arena feel to it. You've got a club level midsection there now at Azak Tech that looks like, anyway, what we've seen on some of the architectural renderings for a renovated Coleman right there in the midsection, an open area that's club and kind of walk around and watch the game at the same time you got new chair backs throughout the building and they also serve the cold beer in the general seating areas that's that's just what i hear anyway so the rare football men's basketball double in gainesville during the athletic calendar year and the crimson tide takes both from the gators and unlike 1995 didn't need a buzzer beater in this one 14 to nothing run there in the second half keyed by improved defense after the break Went a long way in Alabama, walking out of Gainesville with the win. Pretty big, you know, a first half that wasn't for the all-time annals of Alabama men's basketball, for sure. Uneven play at best, but you did have a big five-point trip there in the first half. Alabama was down 33-26 with about five minutes to go in the first half. Jawan Gary hits a corner three, speaking of corner threes, and Charles Bediaco, he simultaneously is fouled in the paint. And he knocks down both free throws. So what looked like a game that the Gators, at least going into the break, could end up up double digits, double figures or so, ends up with Alabama down just three at the half. And then you open the second half, Alabama does, by really turning up the defense, produce 12 second-half turnovers from the Gators after the break. Alabama didn't shoot the three particularly well in the second half, but seemed to be a lot better at the rim and in the paint in converting opportunities because you knew Florida was going to attempt to run Alabama off the line. Even with that, Alabama gets up, what was it, 32 three-point attempts in the game and made just nine of them. This isn't a great percentage shooting Alabama team to this point from three, just uh, 28% from three. But all five starters hit double figures for you. And the starting backcourt, I wrote about this in three predictions for Alabama-Florida, thought Alabama would enjoy a pretty wide margin in terms of point production over the Florida starting backcourt. Played out that way. Alabama's uh, backcourt, starting backcourt outscored Florida's by 19 in the win. So all five starters in double figures. Jawan Gary with about as quiet of a 19 as you'll ever see, but 7 of 11 shooting for Jawan, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. He also gives you eight rebounds. About from the five-minute mark of the first half through the second half, Jawan Gary was outstanding. Uh, a couple steals also. I mean, he had multiple Alabama players with two or more steals, including four of the five starters in the game. And that backcourt, Shackelford, Quinterly, uh, Keon Ellis, 
all of those guys scoring in the teens with Keon at 13, Shaq at 14, Quinterly at 19. And with about seven and a half to go and the game still in the balance, you got the sense that it was about to be Javon Quinterly time on the basketball, and that's exactly the way it played out. It was kind of a highlight show for Javon down the stretch with some amazing dimes, including one to a breaking Jawan Gary on the baseline uh, that he finished for one of a couple of dunks there down the stretch. So good defense, excellent defense for Alabama in the second half, makes a 13-point victory possible. It's sort of a switch for the two teams in the second half. Florida's defense in the opening 20 minutes was was a problem. I thought Florida's active hands, Alabama just didn't seem sure about itself on the offensive end, turned down some open threes in favor of driving into traffic and turned the ball over a few times as a result of that. But in the second half, it was Alabama on the defensive end that got the job done. Another night of inconsistent whistles, too. Seemed like the game was called exceptionally tight, 25 feet from the basket. But then it was almost anything goes in the paint. And even with that, you still had guys like Charles Bediaco, Noah Gurley with some early foul trouble. And give Charles Bediaco a lot of credit, right? I predicted before the game in three predictions that Colin Castleton, the Florida Post, would go for a double-double. And he did go for 19-7. and Came up short of that double-double. But Charles Bediaco, after the two early fouls, managed to stay on the floor for 25 minutes. 11 points, 7 rebounds, 6 of those on the offensive glass for Charles Bediaco. Couple of block shots, couple of steals. Yeah, go ahead and crank up that Charles Bediaco appreciation thread on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. And also, I'll tell you something else, too, for Alabama in this game, in the first half. Keon Ambrose Hilton gave Alabama some quality minutes. When you had Gurley and you had Bediaco in some foul trouble, uh... Keon gives Alabama eight minutes, uh, three rebounds, a bucket. He did have a couple of fouls. He did have a steal. So uh, it wasn't a big night for the Alabama bench in terms of point production. Just seven points. J.D. Davison with two points on two of two free throws. He did have a couple of rebounds. He did have four assists. So that was good to see uh, from J.D. But a stagnant offense that correlated to not as quite an active a defensive effort as you're used to seeing from Alabama in the first half. It all played into one another. They got some points off turnovers, some opportunities off of turnovers in the second half, and that really spurred this team to a 2-0 and start in SEC play. Now, you know, Alabama is supposed to play Missouri on Saturday afternoon in Como, 2.30 Central tip. That game is set to air on the SEC Network. A chance, a real chance to move to 3-0 and in the league with two of those on the road. Uh, but again, we've seen Missouri with some COVID issues here of late. So we'll see exactly if Missouri has enough guys to play. If so, how many guys, who plays for Missouri. And uh, that's going to be your storyline moving forward into the weekend for Alabama men's basketball. Hey, we've got continuing coverage of the All-American Bowl there at BamaOnline.com as well. The high school All-Star game out in San Antonio set to take place on Saturday. You got Isaiah Bond and others from the Alabama perspective in the game. Based on social media highlights this week, Isaiah Bond's been showing off that 10-5 speed 
on some deep balls. So you'll want to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for that as well. And right here with the Bama Online Podcast, which if you haven't already, we would certainly encourage you to subscribe to the Bama Online Podcasts which means when this baby drops, whenever this baby drops, it's going straight into that smart device of yours. You don't even have to look for us. You've got it. Just drops right into that phone or however you consume podcasts. And wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us with the Bama Online Podcast. Stay with us at Bama Online as we get you ready for the national championship game on Monday night and continuing coverage from a basketball perspective. Again, the All-American Bowl out in San Antonio going on this weekend. So much to keep up with and no better place to do it than BamaOnline.com. Travis Ryder, thanking you once again. So long, everybody. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 